Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Okay, this is the final part of my interview with Ashton Colby, a transgender guy. In this interview, we talk about trans athletes, trans children, and how being trans has affected Ashton's spirituality. Let's go. This one kind of tends to be probably the more politicized and controversial and like opposed aspect of the trans journey in at least in our country, right? Trans athletes. Yeah. Can yeah, I think, talk about it. What yeah, putting it in like a social context because this is this people are actively trying to make legislation like at the state, like local, state, and federal level, uh, whether it's in bathrooms or whether it's athletes or other public accommodations or anything like just try to completely say trans people do not have these same rights so when it comes to topics like sports I'm I'm gonna give the answer that is probably not going to satisfy trans people or (laughs) cisgender people but it's like the real like if we don't talk about this in this way we're not even going to get anywhere with this conversation answer like I've lost hours of sleep thinking about this. So I used to maybe five years if you ago, if you would ask me, should trans people be able to participate in sports? I would have been like, yes, of course, whatever gender they identify as, no questions asked. They just, they are their gender that they identify as. They should be able to play in whatever sports team they want to, because that's what felt most right. And it was trans people recognizing the their identity. And then I started to really realize, like, if we don't, like, the conversation really comes down to people's fear of transgender women in women's sports. People are afraid that if there are women who transition from male to female playing in women's sports, there's going to be a competitive advantage. And I want to acknowledge that fear on the opposing side of trans people. Like I want to lay that out on the table. That is the fear. And if the trans community doesn't start naming that, like in a real way of acknowledging, like, I understand the reason why you do not want trans women in sports is because you are afraid that trans women might have a competitive advantage over women that are not trans, who are cisgender, then we're not even speaking the same language. We're not even having the same conversation. The fear on the trans athletes side is if I'm a transgender woman, and you don't think I should be able to be on the women's team, you don't see me as a woman. And so you don't see me. And I'm afraid you don't see me or validate me and who I am. And that's a big deal. Like, let's acknowledge that on that side. Both sides have different needs and different fears that oppose each other. But if we don't start like acknowledging the reason behind these oppositions, and if we just keep having the conversation, trans women should not be in sports or they should be in sports. And just, there's not any like 
why do you feel what you feel on either side? Like maybe trans women do have a competitive advantage in women's sports from a, just an objective, even as an trans person, as an unbiased, if I totally take back all my bias and just look objectively, I can objectively see circumstances in which there are transgender women competing in women's sports. And I'm recognizing that they do have a physical competitive advantage and I'm trans and I still see them as a woman. And I think that sports are really fun. And I played high level sports in high school in field hockey and, uh, you know, ran track and all that. And I loved sports. I, I love watching sports now. And so like, what's more important to me, like recognizing the individuals in front of me, like their identity and affirming their identity or keeping sports like as level playing field as it can for cisgender women. Like, I don't know, it's like a value check on my level. Like when you get money and professional level contracts, Olympics, like pro sports involved, like there's big money. Like I understand why people are really heated about this. Is there a, where a place where we can get where we acknowledge that trans women are women and maybe they also, they're not any less of women, but they might have a competitive, like, can we get to a place where we just acknowledge both sides of it are valid in some capacity? And then from there we can say, okay, maybe we should just leave it up to the individual sports organizations to decide. Maybe we should leave it up to, because I think less government in, you know, their own business or organization is better. And I think young kids, like youth, who cares? Like just let them play whatever team they want to play on. It's not that serious. When you get money involved, it's a business, get government out of business anyway, like as much as we can in a, in a way that makes sense. And conservatives would agree on that. Right. <laughs> so there's got to be a middle ground. We're not even having the same conversation at this point. That's that's my answer. It's like trans people do not want me to say, like, I'm, I'm afraid in this moment, if I say trans women might have a competitive advantage, that my own community is going to be like, F you, Ashton, why would you even say that? And I'm like, but you know what? That's just like objectively what I observe. That's what the opposing side is bringing to the table. And if we don't acknowledge that, like, we look like we're not on the same planet. That's just, that's my real thought. So unfiltered, un, no nuance, long answer, but it's a really hot topic. So yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing that. Now, I think my bias probably falls <laughs> on, I don't take sports as seriously as other people. Right. I just don't, I don't know. Sports should be fun. We say we play sports. Okay. Well, and then obviously that's not true in some sense, right? In, in other yeah. spheres of society, it's no longer a game. This is people's livelihood, totally. not just the athletes, but also the people who own the teams or who are betting on it or whatever. Like they've got all kinds of things going on that, you know, are consequential for people's lives. So I get the seriousness of the sports industry for me on the humanizing level of this conversation. Yeah. Like, can we as a tribe, as a community, as a species, whatever kind of conglomerate yeah. whole we're all part of that we want to identify as, can we as the whole that we actually are prioritize the identity and nature of people in our species and our population over our entertainment, over our business? Can we value their lives and dignity and mental health and well-being and integration yeah. in society over our right to play these games and have these scores. I'm not saying this stuff doesn't matter. I'm not trying to like right. invalidate that world. Right. I'm saying, can we in a human way acknowledge that trans women honestly competing in the sports world? Can we acknowledge that their humanity and their life experience and what they're demonstrating is actually more important to us? Maybe not acknowledge. Could it be more important to us, please? 
could their dignity and self-worth and like participation here be more of a priority for us than this industry that we're obsessed with? Sure. Like, yeah. right? that, that's something that I feel like, yeah. I'm not saying that resolves the issue. I'm not saying that fixes the problem. I'm not saying that- It's, there it's a values thing. Like, right. because even the people that, that are, let's say they're parents of high school athletes and it's starting to get more competitive, they're worried about college scholarships going to trans women over their daughters that are cisgender. And then I zoom out and I question why college is so expensive and we're so in fear about the price of college that we're dehumanizing trans girls that just want to run track with the rest of their classmates and have fun and build character and team culture and public policy that's being introduced around that had been introduced around bathrooms, public accommodations, around sports, around all these things like it's especially sports. It's a distraction to the reality that especially transgender women are um, being victims of violence and discrimination, being killed just for who they are in the United States in 2020. And if we're not having the conversation and as appalled of like, oh, there's more trans women that have been killed just for being trans out of fear today, like in this year, calendar year, then I have fingers and toes that I, more than I can name, that is happening. We should be more appalled at that than we should about maybe, can any of the people that are even opposed to trans women in sports, can you even name one trans athlete? Two, three, can you name three to five transgender women athletes? You can't, they're so small, they're so few, they're making such a, a big issue out of this to distract and dehumanize trans women, especially even more. And so I'm way more worried about, you know, in, in over 30 states, you can still be fired for being LGBTQ, like things like that. I'm way more worried about these basic fundamental human rights than this sports distraction. So I think that, that let's start there. Let's start there before yeah. trying to legislate this stuff. So yeah. obviously there's so much more to that. Yep. There's so many people, I can hear them screaming in my head. What about that I'm like, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. We got to move on for the sake of this conversation. I'm going to totally. acknowledge that we've not resolved and fixed this. We've not made this easier for anybody, but we have expressed some things that I think just something to think about. Cause yeah. I still think about it. I don't have an answer. Like, yeah. yeah. Like email me if you think there's a better policy answer than that you have. I'm open to suggestions. So yeah. I'm also <laughs> for those of you watching, listening, if you want to submit comments or send emails or whatever to just express some thoughts, I'm not interested in vitriol or prejudice or like hate. I don't care. Don't send that to me. But if yeah. you have genuine like consideration and thoughts you want to propose, please, I'm open. Would love to hear that. Um, this one, Ashton, I think is actually even more controversial in the trans mm. conversation. Would love to go here too. What do you have to say about, because I know you didn't transition until like your teens, right? You're sorry, your 20s. So you were like fully an adult, independent. Yeah, I came out when I was 19. Yeah, so I was, but I was, I was an adult. Yeah. yeah. So what do you have to say? How do you, can you speak to the whole like fear, concern, opposition when it comes to trans children? Like kids yeah. who know, you know, from a young age that their gender is not the one that they, you know, their bodies you're presenting or whatever. And like any kind of efforts that are going toward affirming their trans identity, you want to share thoughts, especially for like, I'm thinking about some of the parents who are listening to this, watching this, who are like, I want to support you, Ashton. And then I've noticed this as a simple like sign off, like I'm not considering this at all because, 
they pull the kid card in. You touch the kids, it's over. Nope, none of this is valid. Your dehumanization is a small cost for me to protect the innocence of children. And it starts to become like a conflated, distracted, convoluted, murky. We're not talking about the same thing anymore. Would you care to speak to that? Yeah, it's, I want to acknowledge the fears that parents have when we're talking about trans youth because you want what's best for your kid. Awesome. I'm all here for that. And I'll share what I know of talking to dozens of parents of trans kids and trans youth themselves, (laughs) all the things above. That one, the international standards of care, no one does surgery on any one under 18, anything between their legs. Nobody, not a single surgeon does surgery on youth between their legs just doesn't happen it's absolutely against standard medical practices in all circumstances and so when we talk about youth transitioning we're not talking about major genital surgery on young people that's just that's not what we're talking about we're talking about possibly puberty blockers around um you know 13 14 we're talking about maybe starting testosterone or estrogen when you're 15, 16, 17, possibly getting like a chest. You know, if you, it maybe, for example, you're a transgender guy, you had a lot of chest development through your first puberty as, as a girl, and you really at 17, you for five years have been saying, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, but you got major chest development, like you might then get chest surgery to masculinize your chest at 16, 17, 99% of the time, nobody does surgery under anyone under 18. That's just complete standard practice. And so, cause there is a world standard care for trans people that all doctors have to follow. So that's just, you know, to, to normalize that, to get that out of the way. And I've seen a lot of trans people who are, I've known trans guys that have gotten on testosterone when they're 16, they get to their senior year of high school and they've grown a foot and they've gone through that kind of growth spurt their junior year of high school, like alongside their classmates. And they're, they're taller than me because they get their, they get testosterone before their growth plates close when they're 18 and they get to live an even higher quality of life than I have transitioning as an adult because they've had to do less corrective surgery down the line because they got to be on puberty blockers. Like I had chest development. So I had to get a surgery to correct that. If I were to have gone on puberty blockers when I was 13, 14, uh, I wouldn't have grown a chest. So I wouldn't have had a, it's one less surgery down the road. So there's value there, um, especially transgender women like if you go through that initial testosterone puberty and you you get that growth spurt and you're six foot tall and you have an adam's apple and you have larger hands and feet and you have a masculine jawline because you've gone through that first puberty if you try to then as a woman as a transgender woman take estrogen to feminize yourself to transition to be a woman you're going to have a lot harder time. You're going to be more visibly transgender. You're going to have to do a lot more surgery if it's even possible for then people to, usually you can, 
that there's a lot of media tropes about transgender women being visible with Adam's app, all these things that like we, we want to point to, oh, that looks like a trans woman. And there is a reason for those things because of how powerful testosterone is in the first initial puberty. And then when there are transgender youth that are, um, you know, 16 and they haven't had that major masculine <laughs> initial puberty, like they get to then be shorter. They get to have more feminine bone structure. They get to be a lot less visible as trans and just from a safety perspective, like their quality of life is a lot better if they start younger. And so people don't take that into consideration when they're, they're just like, absolutely no, just they have to wait till they're 18 because only adult could make this decision. But then if you ask those same people, they would say, of course, I knew my gender when I was 15. Of course, I knew my gender when I was 16, 17. How I wasn't questioning my gender when I was 17. Well, neither are trans youth, especially the ones that have consistently since the age of 12 or even as a young, young kid wanted to wear different clothes, has, all, has been pretty sure if given the space to know who they are, we, we should be able to support them younger just because it's from a physical, medical outcome perspective, physically better outcomes if you start younger. Um, I understand if people are really hesitant about that, but again, it's just looking at puberty blockers and maybe some hormone therapy. Um, and from a public policy perspective, we really shouldn't be getting in between, trying to put legislation in between doctors and support teams like patients and patients' families. Like we really need to uh, get any public, like any legislator should not be in between your doctor and the patient and the patient's family and care team. Just no matter whether you're adult, a youth, it's just, I think we can all agree that's probably the best, everybody would get better quality of care. We would all, all get better health care. Um, so, but I get it. Like, you know, we shouldn't, the day after a kid comes out as trans, say, let's go get some surgery. I don't agree with that either. But there are definitely, it's just better outcomes. If we support you, whether it's new clothes, new haircut, whatever, little steps that are non-invasive, we can do. And let the parents and doctors decide as that's appropriate. That's my that's my real answer. So yeah. Great, love it. Thanks. It's helpful. I'm curious what you would say to let's okay, let's take it back. Let's dial it yeah. down from the yep. consequences and intensity of surgery and puberty blockers and all that. Let's talk about children yeah. and just gender identity. Right. Yeah. I just want to have you speak to people who are like, listen, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old can't know their gender. They don't know. Yeah. Like, do you agree? Do they not know? Could kids know that? Yeah, I've got, I know what I think and feel, but I want to give you the space to get to share sure. your thoughts and perspective there. But like, what are your thoughts on that? I think if a five-year-old wants, uh, or let's say a five-year-old, seven-year-old, nine-year-old, whatever, wants to wear something different, and it's just like, it's weather and occasion appropriate. So they, as long as they have the right clothes for the weather and the right clothes for the occasion, like, I don't care if it's a dress, if it's a suit and tie, if whatever, who cares? It's fabric. Let the kid wear clothes. 
if they want to get a shorter haircut, a longer haircut, what does that matter? It doesn't matter at all. So let's let the kid have a little bit more freedom of expression in relation to these things that have no harm to them whatsoever. Like as long as they got mittens and gloves on when it's snowing, like, and they're wearing dress clothes for their nice restaurant. Yeah, that's all I care about. So, you know, if a seven-year-old boy wants to wear a dress, I don't care. Who cares? If they want to wear their hair long, doesn't hurt anybody. We, I think if we let more young people have the freedom to at least try these things out in a non-invasive way when they're younger and they're just like, I don't know, maybe they are just playing dress up. Who cares? Maybe they are just expressing their imagination. Who cares? Let them try it out. Doesn't hurt anybody. And then they're one of two things are either going to happen. They're either actually going to be trans and you supported them. Great or they're not, and they are gonna have the opportunity to figure that out for themselves at a younger age and go through the phase younger. If it is just a phase, get it out of the way when they're five, um, but either way, it doesn't hurt anybody. And again, we're not talking about surgery till a, a decade past that anyway. The six-year-old, we're not even, it's gonna be another decade before they even begin to really even have the option to explore physical mm. permanent changes. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay, cool. So then in all of the trans conversations, and obviously again, this is still just like little tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's just little bits here and there. Cause I'm yeah. kind of drumming us across a bunch of different aspects of this conversation. Yeah. What would you say to people who are like either desirous or striving toward or already doing the work of being an ally to trans yeah. people? What's some advice, what's some helpful pointers or tips from a trans person you could give to them in terms of, you know, showing up better in that capacity? Yeah, I say the wrong things sometimes to other trans people. Like, I, I don't always say the right thing. I've misgendered people in my own community. I've, not on purpose, but just not knowing and making a mistake or saying someone's wrong name after they've changed their name. Like I've made these like little mistakes. They're not little. They actually really, they suck when it happens to you. But I just want to like acknowledge or if you are an ally and you're trying to do better, like if you do make a mistake, know that even I'm not perfect at it and it's okay and you're going to be all right and you're allowed to make mistakes and you're allowed to like have times where you question like, Am I going to say the right thing? Just meet the person in front of you and just have a heart-centered conversation and smile and make eye contact and just do these basic things that you would do interacting with anyone else. And if you mess up the terminology or don't know something, like you'll figure it out, but don't let the fear before you even get there stop you from even trying. It's probably the most blanket thing because the whole saying the right terms like it's always changing there's things I've said in this conversation we've had that other trans people are not going to agree with that's okay like this is just the truth of my experience so meet the person in front of you for the truth of their experience and you'll be all right nice nice okay great thank you all right so now I would like to poke at a, maybe a different deeper level yeah. to this conversation. 
So obviously we've discussed different aspects of the trans experience and the conversation therein, but Ashlyn, you bring another layer to this experience and the work that you do and your perspective and how it's, and it's definitely influenced by this. You are still, you still consider yourself a Christian. You still believe in God. You're still deeply spiritual and you still have that lens and priority and value in the midst of all of this, you know, transition and all that. Um, I would love to hear some of your perspective and thoughts and experiences as it pertains to God's involvement and expression and attitude. And I mean, any and all the things that come up from that. I know, again, like we're doing tip of the iceberg oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. so much to it. You and I could obviously just get lost in just this aspect alone, but we'd just love to hear some of that from you. Yeah, I would say that I couldn't have gotten through my trans experience without a belief in a higher power that is pure, unconditional love. I would have ended my life because of how hard this experience is. And I have to first above any social identity, know that I'm a beloved child of God, just like everyone else. And so I've, you know, I've shared that I grew up in a Methodist church. And so I have this familial foundation of being a Christian. And in so many ways, I've expanded my faith even bigger than that. Like that's a, that's a basis. That's a framework that I have that I hold so dear to my heart that I can't ever separate myself from that. And I've also gone through my own deconstruction, reconstruction, uh, burn the whole house down, totally rebuild it. Like experience of feeling like God is so much more than like a like I mentioned like an old man in the sky like judging me or or anything and and my ability to like witness the divine and human in Jesus is what allows me to witness that deeper in myself but I also witness that in other figures even in the Bible like Mary Magdalene and all these other beautiful divine inspiration that come through just as much I hold reverence for um, in the Bible. And, and then I'm a yoga teacher. So I have explored like Buddhism and Hinduism and other Eastern cultures. I come, I keep coming back to Christianity because it's this, this unshakable foundation in my life. And it's the most rooted and most grounded thing for me. And like God for me is, I can't just use he pronouns for God. <laughs> I can't, I can't just, it has to be, I just say God because it is the, everything is all is, it is the most magnificent, most deepest, like beyond even words that I can describe, unconditional love that is way bigger than any one text um, that could ever be fit into one book it just is, it's indescribable. And um, so I know God deeper as I've allowed myself to know who I am deeper. And I've, I've like, was so I think ups, just disconnected from the truth of who I am. So how could I know the truth of how God made me if I didn't allow myself to honor that, like, you know, I, my spirit signed up to be trans. I know that I know, like, talk about 
Yeah, let's go there. Okay, so like talk about like the fruit of the spirit. Talk about compassion. Talk about these things that are like you learn them in life that that stay with you beyond this life and after. It's like how could I have learned any deeper compassion as a man to have a woman's experience for the first 20 years of my life? You know, it's like, well, I've embodied that. I live that. You can't tell me that women are treated differently than men in society because I literally know that from firsthand experience in a deeply embodied, unshakable way. And if that isn't compassion, like embodied compassion, then I don't know what is. So talk about dissolving barriers of social identity. Like it's ironically that in being the most hotly contended social identity being trans, I've actually like anybody's body that's different than what you expect, whether you have a disability, whether you are a different race that's not white, whether you are any kind of just expression of human life that falls out of the like painted um, portraits we see of Jesus that that's just like a white dude with long hair. Like, like I don't even see Jesus as like a white dude because Jesus wasn't white. So those kind of things, like I question a lot more about the representations we've had of the divine that don't look like the you know the expanse that is humanity like so <laughs> big answer but it's yeah. couple i have a couple questions yeah one this is like maybe just like a pit stop along the way i'm curious yeah. if you'd be willing to share what were some of the ways that when you were presenting as a woman what were yeah. some of the things that you're like yeah i was treated different here sure um, are you are there certain examples yeah, it's yeah. I feel safer in my body just walking around like the streets. Like if I go downtown, for example, I do not get yelled at through moving cars the way that I used to, like, you know, just catcalling. I feel like I don't, uh, I can walk more safely to my car at night, like by myself, those kind of things that in my nervous system, I still have the remnants of it. I can still feel feel that ingrained in me where I want to grab for my keys in a way that I was conditioned to like as a woman okay stay safe look over your shoulder in these ways that I know I no one's looking at me like that anymore and so I try to when I'm walking down the street and I'm the only guy and it's women like I try to give them space I try to, I try to like, I'm very conscious of the fact of my own presence now being seen as a guy. I feel like people will hear me more. They, they, they listen to me more. It's, it's a thing that I couldn't give you statistics on, but I can tell you what it's felt like to be talked over and what it's felt like where people don't know I'm trans. And then they, they just see me as a guy and they're like, okay, what does he have to say in a way that people didn't, that, oh, that's cute before versus what do you have to say? So these things really happen. And I, it's, and again, it's a visceral thing. It's maybe not tangible, but I could feel it in my body the way I'm a lot more at ease, not just from being trans, but also I know I'm perceived as a guy now. And that's, that's been interesting to try to just embody like healthy, integrated masculinity and not, um, not let it go to my head, I guess too. So, right. Totally. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. And then you said the terminology, I'm not going to get it right, but something like you signed up to be a trans, yeah. your spirit. What? What do I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, 
I feel like that there's got to be some big brunch in heaven or whatever before we, before we, you know, just as an example, this is more of a, so this is a loose interpretation, but there's got to be some like place that is where we go when we're not here on this earth. We're all sitting around Yeah, before or after, you know, when we're not here, when we're not in our meat suits, like, where are we? Yeah, you know, call it heaven, call it the, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it heaven. When we're in heaven, before we come into our bodies, I really believe we get to choose who our parents are, where we're going to be born, what body we come into, what are the lessons that our soul needs to learn in this lifetime. We get to sign up for the greatest expansion, whatever lifetime is going to give us our greatest soul's expansion. And in this lifetime, my soul needed to learn this, everything that I've gained, all the fruits of the spirit that I've gained from transitioning. It was a thing as like me and God had a conversation. It was like, you know, you have a masculine soul. I'm, you're cool with being put in a female body this, this round, uh, and you're going to have to hang on to me. And there's going to be a time where that's going to come knocking in a way that you, it's going to be undeniable. It's going to be louder than anything outside of you. And you have to listen to me inside. And that is how you're going to know me. And you're going to have to say yes to that. And nobody else outside of you is maybe going to understand, but you just have to trust me. And that is like, you know, we have, we all have our seeds planted within our spirit or some kind of moment that we are forced to remember God and listen to God. And it's louder than anything else. And when we listen, then our life totally gets better and is amazing. And we get to kind of live heaven on earth. Like the kingdom of heaven opens up on earth. If we listen and I listened and I've transitioned and I'm so deeply connected to that love and it was a beautiful <laughs> uh, thing planted in my soul and my you know my seed of awakening and so but we we sign up for this like when my sister like I mentioned her passing away being here for nine beautiful years like I I, I believe that she signed up knowing she was only going to be here for a short, short blip of time but in that like her life was so beautiful and joyful and made so many people laugh and smile where the nurses were fighting over her to take care of her, you know, like things like that. Like they, she, I think she knew like she was only going to be here for a little bit, but she was going to live fully. And that's like the amount of lives she touched the things she learned. Like same with me, like, you know, you get, or you could believe it's all random and there's no meaning behind it. And I've lived like that too. And it's, pretty crappy, but believing that there's a reason for this and taking some ownership, maybe I signed up. What do I got to learn? How do I I got (laughs) to, what am I here to be and learn? And yeah, it's just maybe a better person, I think. And I'm at least happier. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Fascinating. (laughs) Like Mary had to say yes to birth Jesus. You know, you get these, you get these callings, you get these knocks, like you get a choice though, to say yes. Like you get, you get to say yes or say no when, when God comes knocking to show up for your freaking assignment. And so usually people have some hesitancy 
and it's not like they're like yeah like totally like turn my life upside down it's like you have like fear not you just have maybe the fear is going to be there but try not to fear and do it anyway and it's going to be all right and you're gonna you're gonna get the gifts of what you're supposed to be doing so god wants you to be able to consent to these things you know it's a co co-creation wow thing, so nice nice <laughs> Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I think that people listening here, this is probably, I mean, it's foreign for me, right, to think about signing up for this experience, pre-existing and then choosing. It's fascinating. Um, I don't know that I would say it's, you're not allowed to think or consider or believe that and be a Christian. I'm like, man, there's actually so much conjecture and theory going on in what we think is true about the cosmos. And so like, yeah, fascinating. Thanks for sharing that and being vulnerable because I know yeah. like you have a lot of Christians, I'm sure, who like throw rocks at you for saying stuff like that. Yeah. And um, Jesus, like in, in from what I know to be true and what I think a lot of those same Christians would say is that Jesus knew what his assignment was going to be in this lifetime, like to share the share love, share like awake, wake people up. So you get to remember and I know we can wow. talk about another hour but yeah. <laughs> totally okay great well Ashton okay I'm gonna land this plane soon but um a couple questions for you as far as like wrapping up on all this yeah I didn't tell you this but I have a tradition of when I interview people on my podcast it's called confessions of a reformer so I would love to ask you if yeah. you have any if you have a confession you would like to share yeah. um so like if you're stepping into the confession but it's not necessarily about sin or you know yeah. it, can, it can be I don't know that I'm looking for that it's more yeah. like you know, in my line of work, in my perspective, in my journey, in my experience, um, this isn't popular. I don't love saying this. I don't even know what I think about this, but yeah, I would confess. Hmm. I don't know this. I don't get this. I struggle with this. I know I'm supposed to support this thing, but I don't, you know, whatever. Is yeah. there a confession that you would, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but is there a confession? That's an awesome question. <laughs> um, I would say that, I guess, relating to everything that we've talked about so far, I think something I would want people to know about me that maybe I don't usually have this space to talk about in this depth is that kind of mentioned this before, but politically and, and to do the advocacy work that I do and to have people at least start to begin my experience, to understand my experience, I say I'm a transgender man. And in so many ways, that's not even the first way that I see myself. Like, again, I really see myself as a beloved child of God first, above and beyond absolutely everything. And in that, like, I see that and can recognize and own, like, even the, like, divine feminine aspects of myself, the divine masculine parts of myself, the places that I'm non-binary, the places that I transcend gender and all these boxes that they put people in like I don't would hope people wouldn't just see me as like this female to male person I would hope that they would really see me in the wholeness and the depth of all that I am and in that recognize the wholeness more in themselves but just really see me way more (laughs) than just this trans guy that's my hope for people and um sometimes that's scary to say because 
think it's like digestible for people to, for me to just say it's this identity, just understand this identity about me and you'll, and you'll get it. And I just want you to support this identity, but it's like, why I'm even here is like, okay, understand that identity and then like totally throw it out and just see me as a human. And that's way harder to do. And, uh, but that's closer to the truth. That's what I, I don't know. That's, that was what was on my heart to share. So yeah, nice. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. Totally. Cool. Thank you. That's beautiful. I agree. Yeah. I think we all want that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap up unless you have another. Well, question. my other question was yeah. more practical. Like what are ways that people can yeah. get involved with what you're doing, support your work, follow you, right? Like what's the best social yeah, media? Like you know, yeah. yeah. I've been, uh, TikTok has been my most favorite place right now to connect. It's just my name. It's just Ashton James Colby. And same as Instagram or um, AshtonColby.com is always cool to just see what I'm up to. And um, yeah, super open to connecting with people and see this as an ongoing conversation. And um, my social enterprise, my company is Gender Euphoria, spelled Y-O-U, Euphoria. So it's really just helping trans people thrive beyond the physical changes of their gender transition. So check that out. And yeah, I just appreciate everybody for listening. Nice. I love it. Great. So we'll include those links sure. in the episode below. So you, everyone has access to that there. Um, Ashton, thank you so much for being so transparent and brave totally. and vulnerable. Like it's a gift to all of us that you would share all this. You didn't have to share any of it. So thank you for doing that and for just like leading by example. And, you know, there's so many trans kids watching right now who maybe don't even recognize fully yeah. what's going on there or didn't understand some of this. So I think it's such a gift for you to get to share some of that. Um, your what, What's cost you, obviously, quite a bit. Thank you for sharing it with us. And those of us who aren't trans, but like get to learn, like it's a gift and we so appreciate it. Everyone else, thanks for watching or listening. Um, the links are below if you want to check out what Ashton's doing in the world. Um, go follow him, check it out, get involved. Okay, that concludes my interview with Ashton Colby. I'm so glad he did that with me. Wasn't that cool? Listen, if you're queer in whatever way and you need a place to belong, to be around people who are like you and maybe reconcile your faith with your sexuality or your gender identity, we have a space called the Rainbow Room that's for exactly you. So if that's something you're interested in, you should definitely check that out. If you're an ally to the queer community in whatever way and you need a place to process with other allies to help you grow in your capacity and understanding and competency of being an ally, we have a group just for you called Allies. And then if you are working through your faith deconstructing uh, your sexuality um, or just like generally looking for breakthrough and moving forward in your life and finding the authentic reason you're here and like moving into that. I want you to know that I've stepped into coaching again. I don't have a ton of availability. I have a few spots open left in my coaching to work with people, but I'm opening that up to you. So if you're interested in working with me, you can click on the link below for that uh, and potentially we can work together. So check that out. Thanks for watching everyone. See you next time. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.